We're going to start a series today. It's going to run us for a few weeks because I'm going to be laying a foundation. I believe that if you listen carefully, if you'll uh, take in what this, this series is going to be dealing with, it may change the way you view Scripture. It may change the way you view the God that we serve uh, because we're talking about blessings and the concept here is living in covenant. Just real quickly, now I want you to call out a name of God that you have known him by. For example, there have been some disease or sickness times in my life that I reached out and needed him as my great physician. So that's one of the names. What's a name of God that you know? He's a shepherd and a provider, comforter, Savior, amen. Confidant. Sustains us. Coming, yeah. Soon and coming king. Awesome. What was it? One more time. Counselor, awesome. Shelter. Shelter. Okay, good. I pointed at you about fainted, didn't you? <laughs> All right. Name somebody else. The rock upon which we build our Savior, Redeemer. One of the, what was it? Yeah, that's good. Sticks closer than a brother. Is there another one? Father, love. Master. One of the things, out of all of those names, we may have gotten that close to just naming our, the God that we serve because he's unlimited unfathomable, you can't go deep enough to get below him, you can't go high enough to get above him, you can't go right to get around him or left to get around him because he's everywhere. One thing that we didn't say that I want you to consider is that he is a God of covenant. So for this morning, I want you to stay with me, get your notes, get your Bibles, and I want us to prepare to hear what the Lord says about how do we live in blessing. We all want to be in blessing, but the, the scripture is full of how we are to live in blessing. I'm going to lay the foundation of what a blood covenant is. Because everything that we all understand about God as we go through this series is that he is a God of covenant based upon blood. And once we get that, a lot of the scriptures that we've studied in our life will become uh, more transparent, you'll understand more when we look at them. Um, I believe this is maybe a series that could adjust some ways that we look at God and I so I want you to be in on that. Invite people to join you, have them come in with you through this series because I think it will truly be a blessing. I'm going to read four sections out of Genesis. I'll tell you what they are and then you can look at it with me. Genesis 12, 13, 15, and 17. There's a few verses here, but we stand in honor of God's word. Would you join us, those that can stand? I'm going to be reading, starting in chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant, or one of the first covenants, not the first, but one of the first and major covenants that God has given us in Scripture. And it's, this is where it began. The Lord had said to Abram, 
leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram, Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. Now jump over please to chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. The Lord said to Abram later, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length, the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. The first part was a blessed people. The second part is a a, a land to possess, a piece of property. And then the 15, starting in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. Indeed, if you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So in this part of the covenant, he said, I'm going to give you a son. And the last part is chapter 17, 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. I will count my, confirm my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell down. Abram, excuse me, fell down. And God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which means father. Your name will be Abraham, which means father of many. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Lord, I ask you on this day to speak to us. Open our minds to understand you, your truth, your word, as directed and empowered by your spirit, that we might be transformed more into your image. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Bible Paul was talking about in Colossians uh, chapter 3, 
verses 10 and 11, he was giving us that on earth, this is from a Paul's Pauline perspective, that there would be three types of people that would summarize the categories of people that made up the earth. And it said it, he says it like this, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, and of course this is under the new covenant, under Jesus, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek, so you want to get that down, there's, there's a Greek mindset, or Hebrew, there's a Hebrew mindset, circumcised or uncircumcised, that's related to Hebrews, barbarian, and he uses the term Scythian, which may be slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So he gives us three types of people, Greek, Hebrew, and barbarian. Uh, let's talk about those three categories just a moment, and you will see that type of people on the planet. You will see your family style in one of these. And so we'll, just, we'll take just a moment and look at it. The Scythian or the barbarian, the victory for that person is won through intimidation, threat, and terrorism. If you're a barbarian or come from a barbarian culture, you like to use terror. Authority with, that's not kind uh, can be intimidation, can be all kinds of things. And so I want you to kind of keep that in mind. In the history of the Scythians, as it's mentioned, they were the, the most barbarous people. They were unpolished and most, they were disdained by everybody around them. This type of person or this type of culture is known, we would know it as Islam because it's a barbarian type of culture. Uh, we would know it as sometimes inner city gangs where families are broken down and then gangs develop and it's around intimidation, threat, and power. So you see it in that environment. And sometimes it's from our own homes because some of you may have been raised in a home where threat, fear, and intimidation was constant. Well, it's a barbarian type of mindset. Let's go to the Greeks. Victory for the Greek is in uh, knowledge and the belief in humanism. The belief of humanism is that man is good, and if you leave man alone long enough, he'll get better and better and better. The world will get better and better. Uh, schools will get better. Governments will get better because they believe in a Greek mindset that human, humanity is basically good and will evolve in a good way. Uh, the current, some of the poli uh, political parties in America is motivated out of a Greek philosophy. And this is why Americanized Christianity that focuses on helping mankind get better misses the concept of the gospel. The gospel says that we're broken humanity without hope and in sin. So that's opposite of the Greek mindset. And so the Greek mindset says as long as you're doing okay, God loves you and you're doing well. Or honestly, if you're doing well, you don't really need God. You see, we got everything we need. So that's the Greek mindset. In the Hebrew mindset, victory is won through knowledge, knowledge of and obedience to the will of God as revealed through his word. 
A Hebrew mindset takes both of those and puts it saying, God, your word and your will is going to become my mind and my will. So there's three types of, of mindset. Last year for the barbarian, I heard a news report of where uh, Islam went into a small community. They found a nine-year-old boy, and you've heard the stories of all that they've done. It's almost impossible to, to say it out loud, how bad it's been at times. But they took a nine-year-old boy and made a parade of him in front of his community. And he t they, told, they said, this boy is a spy. They knew he wasn't a spy. The community didn't know, knew he wasn't a spy. But they hung that little boy in the center of the community. Why? If they could get them to be fearful. Because once, listen to this carefully. Once we're under fear of an intimidator, then we're capable of being ruled or controlled. So I want you to understand, plan A of the demonic is to make you live in fear, whatever means possible, so he can control you the rest of your life. Because you will want to step out at times and say, Lord, I want to serve you, I want to follow you, and the en enemy's right there saying, if you step out, I'm going to do this to you. I'll expose you for everything that you are. He will use threat, intimidation. He's a barbarian. The enemy that we serve, or we don't serve, is a barbarian. And so that's how he works. Um, state of fear. That's why the Lord says, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. Power, love, and a sound mind. You need to understand that. Because many of us live in fear. Even if we've been to the cross. We've asked the Lord to forgive us. We're, he's living within us. But there, many of us, I heard Sunday school class talking about it today. Many of us live our entire Christian life under the threat and intimidation of an enemy who wants you to sit in our fear, to stop, to not be effective. You, know, you need to understand, you are, when you walk in faith, trusting God and his word as the way it is, even if your personal experience doesn't prove it or your eyes don't prove it, God's word cannot fail. He is a God of covenant and truth and he cannot be broken. Cannot be broken. So we have the Greek mindset now. If you live under fear, intimidation, worry, and a lot of anxiety, you need to pay attention because there may be an intimidator, a barbarian somewhere in your life. And what I'll tell you to do about that is get away from them. Second form we talked about was Greek. <clears throat> It's the one who elevates man without the need of a God. I've heard it, and we hear it as kind of a pride thing in America, when Houston got hit, you remember what they would say? We will rebuild. We'll come back stronger than before. That's a Greek mindset. Do you understand it? Because they didn't say anything referring back to God. It's we. The power of ourselves, we're going to restore. We'll be better than ever. That's Greek in our mind, in our thinking. Uh, is also revealed in kind of our ignorance of this concept. When America went into Iraq and we defeated Hussein, what did we try to do? We tried to bring a Greek mindset or a Greek kind of government 
into a barbarian culture. It will not ever work. Just believe me, it won't work. Unless there is a move of the Spirit of God in that land and people give their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, those two things will not work together. Because plan A is intimidation. Plan B of the enemy is to make you think you're okay without God. And the Hebrew mindset is based, like I said, upon God, His Word, and His covenant. Somebody said it today, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns, Greek barbarian patterns of your past. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's based on God and his word. That's how we renew our mind. Then when you change, make this transition, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. But unless we have a transformation of our mind, of our cultural past, we will not understand, we, we cannot be, come through the transformation that we need to know our God and to understand him and walk with him. What's the two main things that passage says? Meditate. Take every one of our thoughts. This is challenging. It says take every one of your thoughts and bring them captive to the word of God. You want to know how to go to transition? You want, you want to know how to know God? Know his good, pleasing, and perfect will? You got to take your Hebrew. I mean, you got to take your Greek or your barbarian background culture and you have to bring your thoughts and make them captive to the word of God. When the word of God begins to be your mind, your will, your purpose, then you begin to function in a way free of intimidation of the enemy. I know a lot of Christians who said in their pews who have great power within them. The power of the kingdom of heaven. The power of God himself. But we sit in our chairs in intimidation because when we try to step up, the enemy, the barbarian, comes and threatens you. So, well, we better sit down. Have you even heard said, you know, a move of God? Well, that would be awesome, but I'm afraid of what Satan's going to do. No. Do you, he's defeated. The scripture tells us he's defeated. And we walk in victory when we bring our thoughts captive to his word. That, and that's the good news is that everybody can be transformed if they will. In Proverbs chapter 3, I'm going to read a section of scripture. I'm going to read it out of the, a living translation. And I want to add some of these three concepts of a barbarian, Greek, and Hebrew. Proverbs 3, 5 through 18. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do you know this? Have you heard that before? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. That's Greek. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will, covenant. Seek his covenant will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own Greek-styled wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil, the barbarian way. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and give him the best part of everything you produce. That's based on the Malachi covenant. If you'll bring the first tenth to the Lord, he promises to bless you. 
Then he says, I will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Joyful is the person who finds, watch this, wisdom, covenant understanding. Blessed is the child who finds covenant wisdom. For wisdom, which is covenant direction, is more profitable than silver. Her covenant wages are better than gold. Wisdom is living in covenant with God, is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Once you have this uh, unshakable, non-fearful relationship with a God that you fully trust, it becomes the wealth of your existence. You can have the nicest houses and cars and money in the bank, and it will, and it's awesome. I mean, the Lord blesses us like that, but that will not be your issue. Your issue is that God is faithful. And then those things become open-palmed, saying, you have a need here, take this. God gave that to me. Here, take this. God gave that to me. And you start giving. There are some people in this room, I won't call their names, that live and work to give. And they give, and they give, and they give, and they give. And you know what I've noticed about them? The Lord supplies bigger on the other side all the time. Always, always pouring in on top. Because that's what he says he'll do. She, which is covenant instructions, will guide you down delightful paths. And all her ways are satisfying. God's wisdom, or the covenant understanding, is a tree of life to those who embrace her. And happy are those who hold her tightly. Now remember, three types of people. Barbarian. Greek. And Hebrew. Good news. Every one of those can come to Jesus Christ. And find salvation. And then begin what the Bible, the big word calls sanctification. Then we begin the transformation process. Of however you were raised. Whether you were raised in a barbarian home. Or a Greek home. You then have the possibility of being transformed into thinking. Based upon the word and the will of God. Learning him by covenant, learning to obey everything that he tells us. And he says, if you'll do this, you're going to walk in blessings so much so you won't be able to contain. Now before we close today, because today is just like foundation for the series that we're going to start on for several weeks. Because it's a lot like uh, layers of an onion. We have to lay a foundation and then there's another level, there's another level. And you'll begin to understand why each of these Seven steps of a covenant are vital to our understanding of our God. He is a covenant God. First thing, if you're making notes, the first thing a couple or a people would do in making a blood covenant is they would take their outer coat off and give it to the other person. Take their outer coat and give it to the other person. It's a constant reminder because from that day forward, they would be wearing the outer robes which marked them as a part of the other person's family, clan, country, something. But by sharing or, or taking the outer garments off and giving them that way, it's a reminder. And when we get to the New Testament part of the covenant, you'll see that it is the picture of salvation. Taking off the old man, putting on the new man. You'll see that covenant come true. The next thing they do is exchange belts that goes around the, the tunic that they would wear. 
as you probably know, this, this belt was primarily used to hold tools for work or weapons for war, and a lot of times for both. They would carry both of those. And what it symbolizes is that we are now in partnership for life. We're partnering for life. It's the picture also we found in the New Testament of spiritual warfare. Remember, put on the belt of salvation. That means we're partnering in the work and in the war of God's kingdom as we put on his belt. The third thing is a little more gross. The cutting of the sacrifice. See, it was a blood covenant. The God that we know is a God of blood covenants. And we'll look at it. But here's what it happens is they would take an, a, an offering, an animal, because when a covenant was cut, there had to be blood involved. In the Old Testament, they would take a cow. Let me use a cow for example. And if you've ever been around butchering, you'll know that the work that they just did here to get this done was not easy. But they would kill the cow, sever it down the backbone all the way through. So one half would be laid over here. The other half would be laid over here. And right in the center of that, if you can imagine, is a whole lot of blood. So they would cut the blood covenant. And the sacrifice was the cow that had given its blood for that purpose. As each partner would make their promise to each other, because they would be making an agreement, they would walk through the center of that cow, they would speak their covenant, and then they would walk on through. The other party would then walk to the center in the blood, and they would speak their promises that they're making to the other person. So they would walk literally through the blood that was sacrificed for this covenant. Then there was a priest was involved, and a priest would then say to these guys, just to let you know how serious covenants were, he would say, if any of you break this covenant, may the same thing happen to you that happened to this cow. That's kind of how serious it was. Once this covenant was made, they, they didn't break it due to a commitment to life or death in the breaking of that covenant. That's number three. Number four is the exchange of blood. There was a cutting in the arm. They would take a knife and cut the arm or they would take a knife and cut a part of the hand on both of the parties and then they would put that together as a kid. Remember, did you ever do Blood Brothers? Do you understand that that is an element that has passed down, came through probably an Indian culture, but it went all the way back to this covenant concept? And we just thought it was a, a cool thing to do, but they actually did that where they would mingle their blood together and it was the exchange of blood, and it symbolized that the, these two are in covenant. In other words, now we've become blood. We've become family. It's a blood relationship. Then, fifth, make a list. We're going to walk through these down the weeks ahead and explain them more in detail. But the fifth thing is they would uh, exchange names. They would take a part of this party's name and a part of this name, party's name and put them together to create a new name, which symbolized we're in covenant together. And when you declared that name everywhere you went from that time on, everybody in the community would know we're in, uh, we're in covenant with this people, with this family or this whatever. The next thing they do, 
they will take, their preference was gunpowder or dirt, and they'd rub it in the scar that was cut. Because they wanted that scar to whelp up and to remain visible. And if it's gunpowder, it would remain dark. The scar itself would remain visible as a visible sign that we're in covenant together. These are the elements of a blood covenant. And then the last thing is they will exchange a meal. At the end of the blood cutting ceremony, there would be a celebration of what just happened. Celebrating the covenant, the vows, and everything that happened that day. Just just let you look ahead just a little bit. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Catch it just a minute. In our future, when it's all said and done and the Lord calls us home, the end of the covenant is celebration at a meal called the marriage supper of the Lamb. So what I'm saying is you're going to be sent, begin to see how each of these are components of the entire line of what, who God is and who we are once we understand what it means to be in covenant with Him. One of these, in one of these series, I'm going to do a marriage ceremony. Because it's the only, the only remaining blood covenant that we have in our culture. I'll just give you a little preview. We normally have a center aisle. We have one part of the family here and one part of the family here. See the picture? Sacrifice. One family, one family. Walk through the center of the covenant. And what do we say? We say promises to each other. We walk through that covenant. So what I'm saying is all of the, once you begin to tie all this together, you begin to see what it is to be a people of covenant. It will transform the way we view our God, the way we view our families, the way we view our church, the way we view our nation. If you come from a barbarian mindset, I'm not blaming you because a barbarian mindset is one that where you were raised probably uh, with a father or a mother or some caregiver that was uh, very abusive to you. There may have been alcohol, drugs, or something involved. But usually they're abusive because that's what they've known before. In other words, they've come from a line of abuse, a line of barbarian mindset. If you've come from that, uh, the enemy will tell you, well, you're, you're kind of useless because you're a no good person and you come from a no good family. But what I'd like to tell you is Jesus says, come to me. If you're laboring and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's, he offers to all of us that have been through some form or grown up in abuse, and you may be the abusive one. You know what? You can come to the Lord and say, I'm messed up, forgive me. You know what he'd say? I already did. Now you may need to go back to your kids and make it right. And they may be hurt, may not be even talking to you, but I will tell you this, if you go with the right heart, broken heart, and say, I messed up, and I can't expect you to forgive me, but would you? They will, because they desire relationship so desperately with you. So if you come from barbarianism, all you have to do is come to the Lord, begin to let the mind of Christ dwell within you, and you begin to walk out the will of God through his word, and you begin to change from barbarian to Hebrew. Begin to understand God as one chosen by God to be a part of his family. Good news. Good news. 
And also, if you come from a Greek family, that we're all good and you can grow up and be anything you want. Have you ever said that? It's not true. But have you ever said that? It's the Greek mindset. You're great and you can do anything you want because you're great. No, you're broken. But if you come to Jesus, he'll, use, he'll transform your life and use you for great kingdom pursuits. Do you see the Greek mindset that we use even in the parenting of our children? You may have come from a Greek mindset. I'll tell you this. It's closer and it's a better one than barbarianism. But if you'll bring the Greek mindset and say, Lord, I'm sorry for trusting in my ability and my wisdom. Because compared to you, I am zip. So I want to bring my life into your hands. I want to ask you, Lord, to begin to transform me by the renewing of my mind. Not what a preacher says, but what God's word says. Start putting it in. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Think about it. I've got several folks in the room right now that one of the assignments in meeting with them who've come out of some different, hardful, difficult backgrounds is scripture memory. And you might see them. They come up and they whisper something in my ear. You know what they're whispering? A scripture memory they memorized that day or this week. And what does that mean? We're bringing our thoughts captive to the word. And every time we do, we're transformed a bit more into the image of our Lord. So barbarian, Greek, Hebrew... I'm going to skip just to give you a brief view ahead. When we get out of the Old Testament blood covenant and we make the shift from the old blood to the new blood covenant, you remember what Jesus did on the cross? He became that animal type sacrifice. He was the blood that was spilt. And so when we come to the cross, we're actually coming to the blood. And remember what the Lord says he'll do? He covers us with that blood by faith. It's a right, it's, he says, I'm going to put on you, remember the robe? I'm going to put on you the robe of righteousness. I'm going to give you a new name. You may have been Greek, you may have been barbarian. I'm going to give you a new name, Christ follower, Christ-like one. He trans, all of the covenant, you'll begin to see it function out in every part of what we do. And so on this day, I think the invitation would be this. If you are a barbarian in thinking and in practice, the invitation of the Lord would say, come, come to me. Lay that down and I'll forgive you. In, invite him to come in, take over your life. And then you begin to commit to follow him and his ways. You'll see a big transformation. Or if you come from a Greek mindset that everything's cool, I got money, I got a house, and I give a tip to God. I go to church for an hour on Sunday, so I'm all good. See, the Lord didn't call us to be good people, good pew sitters on a Sunday. He calls us to be dangerous for his kingdom. Light going against darkness. He said, my church, the gates of hell, listen, think about it. Mike, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. So maybe... We're more Greek than we thought or more barbarian than we need to be. And I would just say today is a day of repentance. That means if the Lord's revealed something, what he says is quickly obey what I'm showing you. And in obeying that quickly, the Lord will begin the work of transformation in you.
Because he didn't come here to make you good or better. He, made, he came here to transform us into the image of his son. Father, we want to thank you for your word. On this day, I ask you, Lord, to send your spirit to everyone in this room. And I pray, God, start with me. Reveal to me the things that need to be done. And then give me the courage, faith, no longer anxiety, worry, and fear. But give me the courage to follow you completely. Just say, Lord, is there something between me and you that's not right? Just ask him. Do I need to make something right, Lord, with you? Or with some brother or sister or my daughter or my son? Is there something I need to do to make it right? Then I'm going to say to you, do what he tells you to do. Do what he tells you to do. Some may need to come give your life to the Lord. Some may need to repent and go make some things right with brothers and sisters. Some may need to go home and take care of your children and have a full time of restoration. I don't know. But I do know God is wanting us to begin to be his people. To know his will and to know his way that our minds are transformed. Lord, have your way with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you stand? The altars are open for you.